You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, everyone. Welcome to LifeSpa.com, where you prove ancient medical wisdom with modern science. And today's Life Spa podcast, where Ayurveda meets modern science, I have a special guest, Dr. Gerald Pollack. And you're going to be, I think, really thrilled to hear what he has to say about water. Um, if you'd like to watch this podcast, please check it out on your iTunes or your podcast app, and you can get our free podcasts um, available monthly here at LifeSpot.com. So let me introduce our guest today. Um, Dr. Jared Pollack received his PhD in biomedical engineering from the University of Pennsylvania. He joined the University of Washington faculty and now the p- professor of bioengineering. He's the founder in chief of the journal Water, which we're gonna talk about today and sort of blow your mind about what water is. Um, He's the convener of the annual conference of physics, chemistry and biology of water and the executive director of the Institute of Venture Science. His interests range broadly from biological motion and cell biology to interaction of biological surfaces with aqueous solutions his books include, he's got three of them, Muscles and Molecules, Cells, Gels, The Engines of Life, and his newest book, which is the one I recently read, which I highly recommend, is The Fourth Phase of Water, Beyond Solid, Liquid, and Vapor, which we know there's another phase of water that is the most interesting of all, it seems. So we have to, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Dr. Pollock is the founding fellow at the American Institute of Medical and Biological Engineering and a fellow of both the American Heart Association and Biomedical Engineering Society. He's received many prestigious awards and has presented two TED Talks on water. And you can find out more at Pollock, P-O-L-L-A-C-K, lab.org, PollockLab.org. Dr. Pollack, thank you so much for being here. As you know, what we talk about here with our guests is ancient medical wisdom with modern science. Obviously, water, which is your specialty, is something that's been around for a very, very long time. A lot of ancient wisdom in water. And I'd love to maybe have you start out by telling us a little bit about your newest discovery, the fourth phase of water, and what is that? Well, thanks, John. It's, uh, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure. Um, our latest discovery. So, um, you know, we um, we grow up uh, thinking that water. We learn uh, in middle school that water has three phases: a solid, ice, a liquid, and a vapor. Um, however, it, it it's been it's been unclear for a hundred years or more than a hundred years that that those three phases can explain all of the observations, including scientific observations about, about water. And, and, and so um, uh, more than a hundred years ago, um, uh, Sir William Hardy, who, who was a, a famous colloid chemist, suggested, this was over a hundred years ago, suggested that there must be a fourth phase of water because given the three phases of water, you can't explain all the observations on, on water. So something is wrong. You know, most of us have a tendency to dismiss those observations that don't fit the prevailing theory. We call them anomalies. So anomalies is a convenient way to just sort of brush them aside and into a separate category. But what it really means is 
the theory doesn't work. It doesn't explain these, <laughs> these um, uh, facts, these observations. And I was hugely influenced by um, uh, um, a scientist whose name is Gilbert Ling, who came from China. He was in the first group to come from, from China after World War II. There were three of them, and uh, Gilbert is now 99 years old. And uh, another of the three won the Nobel Prize in Physics. Um, uh, that's Yang. And so these were really special people. And Gilbert, um, after doing massive studies and even more massive experiments, um, understood that there was something different in the about the water that's inside the cell. You know, we think of water inside the cell as a liquid, but everybody knows who's cut open a cell in biology class that if you cut open the cell, liquid does, doesn't pour out. It, it kind of, it's gel-like. And, 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 uh, and Ling concluded that inside the cell, the, the water molecules must be oriented in some way it must must be aligned and that would be perhaps not uh, uh, called a fourth phase of water but uh, a kind of liquid crystalline arrangement of water and that's where we started um, and what we found in in our experimental evidence is is that it was not just inside the cell but all over wherever you have water um, whenever the water meets a surface particularly hydrophilic or water loving uh, surface, you know, where if you have such a surface, if you were to drop a droplet on that surface, the droplet would spread out in, instead of balling up like on Teflon, for example. Th those are the kinds of surfaces where if the water meets the surface, the water changes um, extraordinarily from its usual structure to this so-called fourth phase of organized water. And it's not just a single molecular layer that meets the, the hydrophilic surface. It's actually, we found in our experiments, up to millions of layers. So, so it's not, it, it's macroscopic. You can actually see it with this zone with your eyes under, under the right conditions. So it has, it has several interesting properties. Um, the first to mention is that it's the water that pretty much fills your body. And as you pointed out, it's maybe the most interesting of all the faces of water. I, I think it is too. That's the first point. The second point is that, is that it's charged. Water, H2O is neutral, but this water is charged and typically it has a negative charge. And, and if you start with the surface, then this fourth phase water and then ordinary water beyond that, the fourth phase has typically has a negative charge and there's a positive charge beyond, complementary positive charge. So you've got negative charge in the fourth phase and, and positive charge beyond, and that's like a battery. So this water contains, um, contains energy. Uh, by the way, if I, if I refer to it as easy water, uh, easy, which I do all the time, easy is short for exclusion zone. Um, Someone, a colleague from Australia, suggested that name, and in a, in a way it's appropriate, in a way it's not. The exclusion zone, the first inkling that we had such a, uh, an ordered zone was that when we took a, a, a gel or we took a, a polymer that's hydrophilic, and we put water with tiny particles or spheres, we call it microspheres right next to it, these microspheres were excluded from the liquid 
crystalline uh, zone. It's just like um, when ice forms, it pushes out everything else so you get pure ice. In, in this case, it excludes pretty much everything so you get a, a, a pure liquid crystal. So it excludes this stuff. So we call it exclusion zone or easy. So this is, can I ask you a quick question about this? So what you're saying is that this exclusion zone water is like is sort of the the body's natural water purification system because everything that's not water gets pushed out into this sort of bulk water zone area and you're left with this which is positively charged and you're left with this negatively charged exclusion zone that sets up a negative and a positive energy potential all you got to do is connect those two and you have electricity right is that accurate oh that's exactly right yeah we okay. we could connect them in the laboratory uh, just by putting a taking uh, two wires, putting one in that negative zone, another in the positive zone, and connecting them through a little resistor, and you get current flow from the positive to the negative, just like an, an ordinary battery. And this battery, I might add, you didn't say it, but um, this battery contains a lot of potential energy, and um, it's unclear uh, how much, but uh, I, I think that a large fraction of this energy is actually used uh, to to uh, for us to do whatever we do, we need energy to do it, and and the 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 usual usual understanding is that this energy is chemical energy um, provided by ATP, a, a, a kind of thought to be universal molecule that has a high energy bond. But uh, after discovering this potential energy from all the charge that is stored in, in the EZ or in the fourth phase, this is potential energy and it can be used, and I believe it is used um, in our bodies. Um, so I know I'm talking too much, but- No, 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 you're talking great. I just wanna, I wanna um, add one thing or ask a question. We've, I think a lot of people have been told that water, H2O, is such an incredible molecule, you can't break it up. That it's impossible to break up, and that's why water is water, and that's why it covers the earth in such, in such quantities. So what you're saying is that it does break up. And Absolutely, and um, I, I, I'm not sure, um, uh, I'm not sure where, where that information comes from, that the water never breaks up. Uh, you know, maybe some of the chemists or physicists will say that, but it's well known that it does break up. So if you think about photosynthesis, um, where um, light strikes the green plant or light strikes the uh, bacterial cell or such, um, in, in the case say, of the green plant where you have chlorophyll, what happens is that the chlorophyll absorbs the light. It acts as a kind of antenna. And step one in the multiple step uh, process that is photosynthesis. By the way, some of the steps are not at all well known. But step one is the breakup of water into H plus and OH minus. So this is accepted by, as far as I know, by all biologists uh, that light hitting hitting the plant cell mediated by the absorption through chlorophyll, what it does is it splits the water next to the chlorophyll. Now, this is not so different from what we find in fact i think what we find could be a generic form of photosynthesis of the first step in photosynthesis because we found that the energy to break up the water um, actually comes from light light strikes um, the the water which is near some interface it strikes it breaks up the water into oh minus 
NH plus. And the OH minus is gathered together to form this fourth phase or exclusion zone, which actually turns out to be, a, as far as we understand it, a hexagonal uh, sheet-like structure with sheets piling up uh, upon one another like a stack of, stack of sheets of paper, um, like a ream, a ream of paper. So, so I would challenge the, the um, uh, assumption or presumption by many people that water is, can't be broken up into its component parts. It can be, and, and I'll I give you two examples. One, one is the photosynthesis, and the second is what, exactly what we find in the laboratory. So it can be broken up. So you said hexagonal. So that exclusion zone, which is mostly OH negative, it's a negative charge, is that all crystalline in nature? Is it structured like a crystal? Is that what's yes, going on? Yes, it's structured like a, a crystal. And we know that because of, because of optical studies, uh, studying using polarized light to measure birefringence. And birefringence is a kind of optical feature. It occurs when, when there's order. And this one is definitely ordered. So we, 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 we know from the birefringence studies that it's ordered. And uh, in terms of the hexagonality we we've deduced this from several clues um, uh, it, it, it's not so easy um, to to um, actually peer in and see see those hexagons because because they're obviously so small we're talking about a fraction of a nanometer and there are techniques like uh, diffraction that can be used to determine it and there also are some imaging techniques and, and a lot of people who have studied um, water next to interfaces, what we're talking about, um, have found some hint of hexagonality. Hexagonality, hexagonality pervades nature. And, and these people have discovered uh, next to various surfaces some kind of hexagonality. The problem is that their methods uh, allow the study only of maybe one or two molecular layers next to the hydrophilic surface. And, and so it's difficult for those methods to, to actually to measure what's going on over thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of layers. But there is one, one study that was done by a Harvard group where they looked at uh, um, uh, protein-encapsulated spheres of water. These occur naturally in biology. And they use electron diffraction, and they concluded that the water actually is ordered in, inside these uh, spherical structures. And, um, and, and based on the nature of the diffraction pattern they got, they could conclude that there are layer, sheet-like layers of, of a honeycomb stru hexagonal structure that, that actually stack. So I was pleased to uh, see this because it fits exactly with what, what we're suggesting. So we don't know, you know, 100% whether this is true or not, but based on the evidence, it appears to be uh, honeycomb sheets that stack upon one another. That's the structure of the fourth phase or easy. So what you're saying, I'm sure everybody's thinking right now, okay, there's this exclusion zone where it's this purified zone of negatively charged water, and this is positively charged zone, which has got all the kind of particulates in it. And the stuff that the cells like is the negatively charged, you know, clear water in there. So the more of that we have, the better we function, right? So how do, how do we, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, I know, but I'm, we'll come back and fill in the details. But how do we get more of that easy water? Yeah, well, uh, okay. So, um, 
Um, yeah, you, you, you're, you're jumping ahead, and, and this really um, uh, relates to um, you know, ancient, to somewhat to ancient uh, medical practices, which is, uh, you know, this is what we're, we're after. Um, and um, um, so we studied, we, we asked ourselves, since this negatively charged easy water is so... Um, it's critical for life. It's, it's, so let me start start with, with, with that point. See, inside the cell, the cell is crowded with macromolecules, large molecules. It's so crowded, there's actually not much space for water. Every water molecule is pretty near one of those surfaces, and those surfaces are, tend to be mainly hydrophilic. And so from that, you can surmise that pretty much all the water in the cell is going to be uh, easy water which in turn means that every protein inside the cell is surrounded by easy water. So when you, when you think about a protein, you really should be thinking about a protein plus the easy water that's sticking directly to it. Together, those two make up one, one unit. It's not just the protein that sits in a vacuum or something. It's the protein that sits in easy water. So, okay. So when the protein... Uh, does its job. What's its job? Well, it depends on the particular cell. So, so in a muscle cell, the actin and the myosin uh, proteins surrounded by easy water need to fold in some way from an extended shape to a folded shape. But it's not just the protein. It's the protein plus the easy water that surrounds it. That's the familiar territory to the protein. That's, that's, it folds naturally with the easy water surrounding it. Now, if you don't have enough easy water, if you're dehydrated, if your cell is dehydrated, the two are equivalent, uh, right? You're missing water inside the cell. And since the cell contains mostly easy water, you're missing easy water. So now the protein wants to fold to do its job. Um, and it sees itself surrounded not by the usual um, uh, envelope of easy water, but nothing or less uh, that's necessary. So, so it finds itself um, in a confused environment and either it may not fold at all or it may misfold. And therefore, if we're talking about a muscle cell, it's not contracting very well. Or if we're talking about a nerve cell, it's not communicating information very well. Your brain may be foggy, uh, uh, et, et cetera. So what you want to do to promote health and the ancients knew this uh, in, in, in some way, to promote health is to build that easy water. Okay, so the question boils down to how do you build easy water? And, and there are a half dozen different ways to do it, which, which are not very complicated. Um, um, one which was um, maybe you might say favored by the ancients uh, is to take a walk on the beach barefoot or to walk barefoot. Um, so what does is, what is walking barefoot do? Well. It connects you to the earth, okay? And by connecting you to the earth, and of course the ancients um, lived that way, well connected to the earth. They didn't, didn't have uh, rubber-soled shoes that insulated them from the earth. By connecting your body to the earth, you're connecting your body to a, a vast reservoir of negative charge. Why negative charge? Well, the earth is negatively charged. Um, now, I got to admit, I... Um, I was originally a student of electrical engineering, and if someone had told me that the Earth had a net negative charge, I would have said, You're crazy. Not one of my professors ever mentioned anything like that. And I think it was because my professor didn't know. And if I were educated in Russia, probably I'd know it because 
because my, my uh, colleague friend who worked in my lab for a while, Andrei Klimov, one day as he was departing for Moscow, he was in my lab standing right near the door and he started talking about the Earth's electric field. Uh, I said, Andre, you must be talking about the Earth's magnetic field because I never heard of an electric field. He said, you never heard of it, it's impossible. He said, in Russia, every middle school student knows about the Earth's electric field. Um, and uh, so he retorted by saying, muttering something about the deficiency of the American educational system. <laughs> and of course, I was a bit skeptical because how could it be that someone educated in electrical engineering never ever heard that the Earth had a big net negative charge? So I went home scratching my head, and the next morning, one of my students came to me with, um, with um, uh, one volume of the three-volume set produced uh, called Lectures in Physics by the great physicist Richard Feynman, who many people know. Uh, he was not only a great physicist, but he was funny and great jokes. And he was at Caltech, and someone recorded his lectures and compiled all that stuff into a book. And and my student opened it up to volume two, chapter nine, and, and there it talked about the Earth's electric field. Um, and the electric field is caused by negative charge in the Earth and positive charge way up somewhere in the ionosphere. So you have, you have positive charge and negative charge, like a capacitor with an electric field that runs, run, runs between. And so the field lines run perpendicular to the surface of the Earth. At any rate, the Earth is negatively charged. So Aww. sorry for that long diatribe but so what happens now is you take off your shoes uh and you take a walk on the sandy beach or on the grass in your backyard and you're connecting yourself to the negative earth so what that means is that if there's any deficiency in negatively charged easy water the electrons are going to come and target themselves to that place in your body and and the arrival of, of electrons negative charge means that it will convert the neutral water into negatively charged EZ water, and you're back to health again. So, um, so this is this is uh, method n number one, um, and I, I guess um, I don't know if it was really known to the ancients, but the ancients would do it every day, and maybe that's one of the ways that that they they kept healthy by infusing this negative charge into your body. There's a quite a literature on this right now, and a lot of people know this technique uh, very well and there's one there's one kind of amusing example that a colleague told me about about george washington so george washington apparently traveled with his physician i don't know if he was paranoid about his health or whatever but whenever he went anywhere he took his his uh, his family doctor or his personal physician or whatever and one day he wasn't feeling well and his doctor said hug a tree so as the story goes, he hugged the tree and he felt much, much better. And so why, why would hugging a tree, as simple as that, make you feel better? Well, the tree, just like us, has negative charge, but the tree has more negative charge. Its cells are, are not, uh, uh, doesn't, don't have an electrical potential of minus 60 or minus 70 millivolts, but more like minus 200 millivolts. So, oh. So it's a real source of negative charge. And if we hug the tree, we're connecting ourselves to that negative charge and negative charge flows into our body and we build more easy water and we feel better um, because whatever cell is, is responsible for creating um, uh, our illness or our problems, 
going to get reversed by, by this. Okay, one, so that's number one. You want one, more? Well, yeah. One other thing that, that traditional cultures would do is they take their water and they would put it in the glass pitcher and they would sometimes a different colored pitcher and they would put it in the sun before they would drink it. Yes. Now, I would imagine that must have a big boost of easy water. Is that true? Uh, I, I, I think so. In fact, we're, we've been attempting to get started on experiments like that because um, uh, one person in, in my laboratory, Abba Sharma, is, is from India and knows much of, of the Ayurvedic tradition. And she told me that her grandfather used to do this, put pictures of different uh, colors uh, right. and and the, the sun is beating down and depending on what particular issue or illness or she would drink one, one or the other. So we'd like to do, to, to follow that experimentally light. So that, that actually should build easy water. And it, it brings me to. We to, did that. We, we did a study with that because my, that's what we practice and talk a lot about here is Ayurvedic medicine. And one of my ch children's experiments for uh, middle school was to wrap a, a red filter and a blue filter around water and then put it outside and see which one froze first. The theory was that, that, the, that the red filter would, um, would reflect the, the red, right? Is it the opposite color? It would, 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 and let, well, the, let the blue in. So the red would actually let the blue in. Is that true? Well, it transmits um, um, uh, um, the, the red. So if you put if you put a, um, a sheet of red glass and, and look, look at the sun, for example, the red wavelengths come through and all the others are blocked. Right, uh, so, so we found that one of them froze a heck of a lot quicker than the other one did. It was pretty interesting. Oh, so, yeah, interesting. So, we, so we did that for you, so you will we'll, we'll write it up for you and send it to you. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah, kidding. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's so light, absolutely, you know, that's why, for example, going out and standing in the sun, which so few of us do these days because <laughs> everything Everything seems to be indoors. We feel good, and particularly, I'm. I live in Seattle, and you know, Seattle is, is in in the winter months tends to be gloomy. Uh, we get a lot of cloud cover, a lot of a moderate amount of rain coming from those clouds, and if the sun peeks through at one point, everybody feels happy, and so, so we tend to attribute that that uh, good feeling to uh, some sort of psychological issue, and it may be, but also. Um, the light that comes through um, builds easy water, particularly the infrared wavelengths that come through. Infrared, we're talking about longer wavelengths than, than, than red. And, and infrared, a lot of people don't, don't know exactly about infrared. They think it's somehow associated with heat. And, and all it is is uh, electromagnetic energy, same as light, at a longer wavelength and often associated with, with heat. So it's all around us. Um, um, if, um, if you were to turn out all the lights in, in, in your, uh, your, your room um, and, and use your cell phone camera, you'd see nothing because this, the sensor is sensitive to the visible wavelengths. But if you were to whip out an infrared camera whose sensor is sensitive to, to uh, infrared wavelengths, um, then you'd see a beautiful image, even though it's completely dark. And that's because everything is, is uh, generating infrared energy. So we'd be able to see um, uh, you, your shirt, your tie, the pictures behind you, et cetera, et cetera. Well, everything is generating it. And because everything is generating infrared energy, and infrared energy is what builds 
most strongly, easy water. Uh, Because it's available, it's really free energy. We learn about free energy in in chemistry class and from textbooks, but this is literally free because it's there all the time. It's free for the taking, and which means that which means that infrared energy is, is also there. So uh, anyway, if we go out in the sun, um, if we go out in the sun, we get this energy directly uh, from the sun. It hits us. It builds easy water. Now, there are other instances um, uh, where you can build easy water, and, um, and I think the ancients used these as well, um, uh, and that is the sauna. Um, you know better than I do how sure old... These are, I don't know how old they are, but I, I very bet old, yeah. they are very old. Yeah, very old. Russia. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So you get in, uh, it's hot, very hot, either humid or dry, and you expose yourself to infrared energy. So that infrared energy hits your body, gets absorbed, different wavelengths get absorbed more than others, and builds easy water in your body. And that's why after 20 minutes in, in the sauna, followed by a cooling shower, you, you, um, you feel energized. Uh, I've had that experience myself multiple times. And I'm, I suppose that the ancients uh, must, have, must have done the same. It just feels good to, to do that. Okay, would so, a, would, so an infra- with, in, with, would an infrared light be helpful? Is more better in that regard? That's a well, big popular I'm thing. Sure it's better or not better. Uh, it, probably, it probably depends on exactly what wavelengths are contained in the infrared light plus the more natural sauna. And I don't know the answer. The manufacturers uh, will, will know the answer. And um, um, so some wavelengths get absorbed by your body more deeply than other wavelengths. And uh, for example, in our studies, we found that the wavelength 3.0 micrometers, um, that, that um, is said to, to get absorbed minimally, but our experiments seem to show otherwise, and that, that is the wavelength in our, in our experience that builds this water most avidly and most strongly. So if, if, you're, um, if your lamps contain three micrometer wavelength, then uh, according to our experiments, it should be very good for building easy water and therefore building function, uh, relieving your pains, your depression, uh, your fatigue, whatever. You also mentioned that glacier water is really good and, and juicing your vegetables is really good. Uh, yes. Talk to me about those two things. Uh, so let me uh, first talk about glaciers um, and then remind me uh, about juicing. Um, well, let me start with juicing, okay, and then remind me about uh, glaciers. So, so um, juicing, yeah, I, I, there, there are many people dealing with uh, so-called alternative or uh, medicine or, or um, uh, you know, has m- many names. And, and some of them, uh, I know, uh, tell me that the simplest way of improving your health is to, to juice. Now, what's juicing? So juicing is basically taking plants, live plants, and squeezing the hell out of them, squeeze the water out. So what about this water that you squeeze out? Well, the water that you squeeze out is the water from inside the plant cells, right? And, and this is just full of easy water and lots of negative charge, just what your body wants to, to, to be healthy. And so what, when you drink the water from the plants, uh, hopefully slightly sweetened with the juice of a few strawberries or blueberries or something like that to make it palatable, what you're doing is, 
replacing your missing easy water with easy water from the plants, you see. And, um, and the report I get from, from these um, alternative or integrative uh, uh, doctors is that the patients do really well with this that they'll come back a few months later whatever problem doesn't matter what problem they have doesn't you know water is all over your body it's everywhere it doesn't matter what problem uh, by by drinking this water and i think what that means is restoring easy water by by doing that you're promoting function and the patients come back feeling better no matter what their their issue and they feel more energetic and also I'm, I'm told that a side benefit is they lose weight. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I think, I think that that's um, another way. Um, and I, I suppose that way was, was used by the ancients, you know, better than I do, but it's a kind of obvious uh, sort of thing. Um, well, for sure. I mean, they ate whole foods and fresh vegetables or diet was, you know, 90% plant-based. That's for sure. And, um, and then about glacier water, I mean, I studied in India, studied Ayurvedic medicine, and one of the maybe the craziest things I ever did was I was in the, uh, at the source of the Ganges River, and they yeah. were talking about how that water was medicinal, had these amazing properties, and I ended up, there was a guy bottling it for the first time, and I ended up buying a container, literally a whole container of Ganges water yeah. that I thought everybody in the world would love if I brought it here, and I was kind of found out that nobody wanted Ganges water. Oh, yeah. and, I ended up with a container in my garage for many, many cases of Ganges water in my garage for many, many years. And now we actually, we boil it and put it in. We have a little product we sell for like spritzer for your face, a uh, thing called Himalayan mist. We put that Ganges water and we still put it in there. Um, but uh, what you're telling us is that there is some special, maybe easy property in when that water goes from ice to liquid form. Tell, tell us about that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So my, my book contains uh, a lot of information. I think a, a, a whole chapter or more on, on freezing and thawing processes. And they're different from what, what, what we think or what everybody thinks. You know, the thought is, well, you take water and the water then converts under the right conditions, can convert itself to ice. And if we take the ice, it melts and goes into water. But that's not quite right. There's an intermediate step. And uh, the intermediate step is if you cool the water, what happens is that the EZ builds and then it's the EZ that converts into the ice. And if you melt the water, what happens is, uh, is that the melting process produces EZ water, which eventually becomes a regular water. So that intermediate process is easy. And it's not a surprise completely because the structure of the EZ, the hexagonal kind of structure, is similar to the structure of ice. It's not ice, um, it's different, but it's not too different from ice. So the experiments, and we have some published papers on this besides the book, um, uh, show that, that when you melt the, the ice, you get easy to start with. And how quickly it converts into ordinary water, I, there are many factors involved. So it's not a surprise that uh, the source of the Ganges with the glacial ice uh, melting, uh, if you pick up that water, it's probably still in the easy state. See, and then if you drink that water, um, if drinking easy water is good for health, which, um, you know, everything, everything we've studied points in that direction, then drinking that water from the Ganges uh, would, 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 be, would promote, uh, promote health. So, 
one question, of course, is how long does that easy water persist if you just put it into a container? And nobody studied this, uh, but I know, I know from, from some experiments that we did that persistence could be a very long time. It may be a very stable uh, uh, fraction of, of, of water. So, for example, one, one colleague of mine produces a, a kind of uh, water that he says good for health. Um, and uh, there are many people who, uh, as, as you know, who, who do this. If you search the internet, you'll find many companies uh, selling waters that appear to be good for health. And, and he told me on the telephone that this water could reverse irreversible kidney pathology. And uh, I said at first that, well, I, I, I'm not sure I believe you. Actually, I did. So he sent me hospital records. And it, it seems absolutely confirmed. And uh, a colleague of mine interviewed some of the people who he claimed had been cured and and uh, and they said yes uh, indeed that's so so i was curious about this water and he sent me a sample we were so busy it just sat on my desk for three months finally after three months we tested to see how much easy water it contained and it's a very simple technique we, we use we know that easy water absorbs light at a wavelength of 270 nanometers so we did the test and even after three months, there was a hefty amount of easy water that was contained in, in, in that water. And so, um, um, so this is just one experiment to demonstrate that there, it just doesn't necessarily disappear in a few seconds. Um, we don't know how much, how much easy water there was at the beginning, but we know after three months that quite a bit of it persisted. So it might be the same amount, might be slightly less, might even be more because if it sits in the presence of infrared energy, the easy water should build, you see? So, so it's not true or not necessarily true that the easy will just vanish because it's unstable. It might actually be rather stable. So um, yeah, I, I, I think the Ganges water, it might be um, that way. And I, 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 I saw a presentation at a conference, someone who was studying, water, the Lord's water, Ganges water, and other waters. And I was looking very carefully at the presentation because I knew what interested me. And in all cases, all of those uh, special healing waters, they contain this same 270 nanometer absorption, uh, which is our, our indication that they contain easy water. So it might be that the healing properties of, of those waters, at the source of the Ganges where it's melting and, and other places could be due to the presence of easy water, just like in, from plants. So we haven't talked about too much about what happens to the, the, the positively charged, the bulk water, all those protons that are there. And that creates that, that water battery you talk about. I wanna talk about those protons, which I guess is, are what would actually slowly break down the easy water. But also I wanna ask you about the sodium potassium pump which is a positive negatively charge, which is another battery that drives electricity. And of course, that's what every cell is kind of taking in potassium, getting rid of sodium, right? And that creates that electrical charge. How does that relate to this charge that we're creating from the water battery? Do they interact in any way? I'm just curious, because I write a lot about the sodium potassium pump and how we eat more vegetables to get more potassium, how critical that is and how we should eat less sodium. Can you kind of tie those together or are they totally separate things not to be tied together? No, I, I, I can tie those together. Um, 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 so uh, 
um, I'm not sure where, where to start. Um, sodium, sodium potassium pump was discovered about, uh, well, I don't know, 60 years ago or something like that. And it was then the sodium pump and, and it got a Nobel prize and such. Um, and I believe it doesn't exist. Um, no, it's not, it's not necessarily originally my belief system, but it was the belief, it was uh, based on experiments by the guy who I mentioned, Gilbert Ling. So um, Gilbert Ling, um, uh, at, at the time he, it wasn't known by now there are, it's not just the sodium potassium pump, but the cell membrane is said to contain, if I remember the number correctly, there is something like 2000 different pumps uh, in the membrane. And, um, and Gilbert Ling was skeptical of, about this because, about the pump, because pumps require energy. And uh, it was generally known and accepted that one third of the cell's energy is devoted to the sodium pump. Again, at the time it was called the sodium pump to get, get the sodium out of the cell in, in, in theory. And, um, and he did experiments and, and showed that even if you poison the cell, which is like pulling the plug on the, on the pump, well, it doesn't work anymore. Still, for a very long time, the, the effect of pumping, of, of quote unquote pumping was still, was still realized. So, you know, um, there's something, something wrong there because uh, it, it, it doesn't follow. If you, if you remove the energy and the pump gets turned off, then, then the, the effects of pumping should disappear immediately, but they continued for a long time. And Gilbert, uh, did uh, calculations on this and 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 showed that um, in in this poison cell um, the, that you, you, you it, it was just impossible for for this uh, pumping pumping to occur because the total amount of energy that the pump required was if I remember the num number correctly uh, somewhere between thirty and a hundred times the amount of energy that that the unplugged pump could could possibly muster. Uh, they used the cocktails to put every known poison they can think of in the cell, so it really wouldn't do anything, wouldn't pump, but the effects of quote unquote pumping were still there. So he said, it can't be. It, he, also, he also brought up, uh, oh, by the way, his objections have never been addressed. They appear in, in several of his books and articles, and nobody has paid attention to it. See, so it, it's, um, it's, it's thought, it's thought that the electrical potential of the cell is caused by this pumping that that you mentioned, um, and um, um, and the funny thing is that you can take a, a system um, that's just like the inside of the cell, but has no membrane, therefore no pump, and get the same electrical potential. So that is a gel. If you take a gel, a gel has no membrane. The cell has a membrane. Uh, and you stick the same electrode in the cell or in the gel, the result is pretty much the same. You get a big negative electrical potential. And, and so the standard textbook theory invoking sodium potassium pump says, this is the reason. If that's the reason, then how come you get the same result if you don't even have a membrane or pump or anything like that as, as in a gel? It doesn't make sense. So if you still want to attribute the electrical potential to the sodium potassium pump, um, then how do you explain the electrical potential of the gel, which is pretty much the same, you see? So it doesn't, doesn't make sense. And the final argument, the coup de grace, is, 
is by now so many people observing effects. Oh, I've discovered a new pump. That's it, that explains why. And, and uh, as I said, I think the number is now some, something on the order of a couple of thousand. When Gilbert Ling wrote his stuff, the number was a couple of hundred. Um, now it's a couple of thousand. And at that point, he said, there's no room for all of these pumps in the cell membrane. Yeah, you see, where, where are they? And, and, which is, and now the problem has gotten even worse because, because now there are so many more of these uh, pumps that <laughs> there's no space available for, for all of them. And then he brings in another, another point that people have now invoked pumps for substances that are made by chemical companies. They keep cranking out new chemicals. And, um, and, and he says, where's the logic to that? How, how is it that the cell knows to create a pump for a substance it's never seen before? It's just invented last year by a chemical company. So if you put all these put all these arguments together, I think it's really important to go back and look at the evidence for uh, for for these pumps. Um, and but there's another really easy way to explain the negative electrical potential of the cell, and that is the cell is filled with water. The water is mostly easy water. Easy water is negatively charged. So therefore, if if a cell is filled with negatively charged species. Um, then you're going to have a negatively charged cell. And that's why all cells are n negatively charged because they contain this easy water. So, oh, I'm sorry, it's a long answer to a short question, but uh, that part, um, yeah. So let me, let me see, see if I can kind of clarify that in my own head. So we know that if you juice plants, which have hundreds times more potassium than they do sodium, 300 to 1, in many cases sometimes more, and you, you juice them, the cells. Well, yeah, when you just, yeah, just take the plant and you look at the potassium content to sodium content in the plant, there are two to 300 times more potassium than sodium. And at the same time, when you take that plant and juice it, you're also getting more easy water. You're getting that, that the, the fluid from the inside of the cell, which is easy water. So is it safe to say that, that at least in plants, that sodium, that potassium sort of uh, is directly related to the amount of easy water that if as the, as the as the potassium levels go up in the plant and you eat those you're going to get more easy water so so we know that that eating more plants gives you better health lowers blood pressure getting more potassium rich foods gives you better health lowers blood pressure but what's really happening what you're suggesting is that it's actually not the potassium at all though it must have some value as an electrolyte it's actually the easy water that's actually there in the plant that just so happens to have a higher potassium to sodium ratio. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, uh, exactly. No, nobody, nobody has ever really uh, come to a, a clear conclusion as to why there's more potassium inside the cell. But, but Gilbert Ling argues and other experimenters have shown that this potassium is actually not dissolved in the water. It's stuck to the protein surface. See, so, so it's a little different from, uh, we call it an electrolyte, but it actually may not be dissolved in the water. It may be associated or stuck to the, the proteins. Wow, so much we don't know, right? Oh, let me tell you, uh, you know, uh, I, I, once, um, I once did a survey about what we know and what we don't know. I was sort of curious. Um, um, I think my point of view on what we don't know is similar to, to yours, but I, I went around the cafeteria at my university and the people who eat lunch there are mostly biological scientists. And I asked that question, 
um, the question was, these are random people who I didn't particularly know. I said, can I ask you a question? Oh, sure. Um, of, all, of all the science that, um, fundamental science that is, there is to be known, what fraction do we know? Now, um, so it, the answers fell largely into two categories. One category hovered around two thirds. You know, we, we basically know so much. There are maybe a few things, a few uh, I's to dot, and a few T's to cross, but pretty much we know what's going on. And other, other people at the opposite extreme said, oh, I'm sure less than 1%, <laughs> we, we know so little. And I, I'm in that second category because um, um, I've been in several different fields and I, I, I know that there are accepted points of view in all of those, in all of those fields, but just be simply being accepted, as I give an example of the, of the sodium-potassium pump, is not, not clear that the, that the acceptance is justified. Um, many scientists don't like to question their uh, belief systems at really fundamental levels. We all feel comfortable, you know, thinking that we kind of know, we feel a sense of stability, kind of, know, kind of knowing how the world works. It gives us a, a feeling of comfort. And someone comes around and says, you know, like to flat earth people says, ah, oh, you know, yeah, it, it's true. You look out and it looks like the earth out there is flat, but if you take a more global point of view, it's actually round. And and this is, if you pardon the expression, earth shattering. <laughs> it doesn't feel comfortable to have our belief systems questioned that way. And scientists are humans like everybody else. And we all, we all like to feel a sense of comfort uh, in, in, in our, our own belief systems. And, and that's a reason why science is actually, uh, or I should say, reason why we haven't seen very many scientific revolutions in the past few decades. If you, if you ask yourself, um, it's another question I asked many people. I, I said to them, um, can you um, name in the past 30, 30 years uh, a handful of scientific revolutions, not technical revolutions like the iPhone or something, but, um, but fundamental scientific revolutions like, for example, the structure of DNA or, or the splitting of the atom or the discovery of x-rays, something like that. How many can you name that have occurred in the past 30 years or so? And the usual response is a dumbfounded look like, oh, I never thought about that question. Let me scratch my head and think. It's really hard for most people uh, to come up with, with with a list of uh, both lay people and scientific people. You know, I've heard of, the, oh, the Higgs boson, which won a Nobel Prize, but, you know, how has the Higgs boson affected your life or my life at all? It's, it's a rather arcane uh, sort of thing. So mo most of the advances in science, and there, you know, there have been a plenty, they're mostly incremental. They're not fundamental like the ones I, I mentioned. And, and one of the reasons uh, for that is the way the scientific um, um, approach has been institutionalized. So if you, if you want to uh, study uh, the role of, you know, um, ancient Ayurvedic thinking into modern, modern medicine, and you, you want to apply uh, for money, it's really difficult for you to get it because, because the, the people who are doing the reviewing are the experts in the prevailing field. 
um, and in your case, it would it would be modern medicine, and they don't necessarily want intruders like you coming in to upset their belief system, and so it's really difficult for you um, to get money to continue your your research, and a lot of a lot of scientists know this, and so they simply refrain. Uh, from pursuing revolutionary work. They rather do work that is incremental because they can get funding. Funding is absolutely critical for every scientist. They can't, they can't proceed without paying salaries to the people who help do the experiments and such. Right. So I think I've gotten off track, but I... I, well, I, have, I have a few questions for you. Um, one is, as I was reading your book, I was thinking, okay, what's the best way to make easy water and just hydrate my cells and create more electrical energy in my body? And I was thinking, if you exercise in the sun, where you're getting the sunlight to kind of kind of separate through that first step of photosynthesis, create more OH negative particles in my body. And I was sweating, and sweat is sodium, and that's positively charged, and I'm getting rid of those protons that the easy water is pushing out all those protons and particulates and toxins in the water, and you sweat those out. So I was thinking, and I'm helping you can clarify that, that exercising in the sun to get that first step of photosynthesis and sweating to get rid of the bad stuff would be a really good idea. Maybe drinking some green juice along the way. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you need to hydrate yourself. Uh, so you play two rounds of tennis and you're dead to the world and you got to drink to replace the water that you've, you've lost. But, but this is definitely one way of, um, one way of losing protons because, um, because the sweat uh, tends to be positively charged. You're getting actually, Many things that you do, uh, that you do all the time, are are tending to get rid of positive charge. The uh, the one thing is exhaling. So when when you exhale, you know you've got you're exhaling carbon dioxide in in part, and the carbon dioxide and the water together make for carbonic acid, right. which is full of protons. So when you breathe out, you're actually getting rid of positive charge every time you exhale. And as you pointed out, uh, sweating does does it too, and um, going to the bathroom to pee, often often the urine um, tends to be uh, low pH, which means it's, it's acid. So, um, so you've got multiple ways to, ordinary ways to, to get rid of protons. And that could be, could be one of the reasons why exercise uh, is, is healthy for you, because, because um, as you pointed out earlier, the protons tend to, um, tend to compromise the um, amount of, uh, of easy water. And so the body tries to get rid of them as, as much as possible. Now, we, we, studied, we published a study years ago uh, when my first books, Body, Mind, and Sport, compared nose breathing versus mouth breathing. And nose breathing theoretically goes through these turbinates and drives the air all the way into the lower lobes of your lungs more effectively, where there's a predominance of alveoli for exchanging waste and getting rid of more carbonic acid, getting rid of more, more waste and getting detoxifying the body better. And we found that when you breathe through your nose, the brain's waves slipped into an alpha state. When you're breathing through the mouth, they flipped into a beta state. We measured parasympathetic versus sympathetic activity. We measured a whole bunch of stuff. And we found out that when you breathe through your nose, the old ancient pranayama technique kind of only during activity made phenomenal changes in terms of how we feel. So I'm imagining what you're saying is by getting rid of all those positively charged protons through the acid relief as you detox, that would allow the body to then make more easy water inside. Is that true? Well, I'm not sure if it will help make more, but it will help 
um, it will reduce the compromising effect of the nearby protons. So we found that you know if you have an EZ and you've got a lot of protons nearby, the protons tend to limit the growth of the EZ. This is the opposite charge. It tends to like encroach on on EZ. So you want to get rid of those protons as uh, as as much as possible. I'm not familiar with the studies that you mentioned, but I I certainly can imagine that that, that would occur. And um, anything you can do to to um, uh, enhance easy water, at least according to our theoretical studies, should improve your health. And so I, I've, I've given you um, four or five different different routes so far. Um, and, and there's one that I, I want to mention now be, be, before we uh, before we finish, uh, uh, because this does go back to Ayurvedic uh, times, and that is some of the foods, um, some of the foods, or or I should say herbs or spices like turmeric, for example. So you know better than I do how many, how many thousands of years people have used turmeric? Uh, big time, thousands, probably 5,000 easy. 5,000, okay. Yeah. Seemed to work for 5,000 years, but um, we've kind of forgotten. So we did, we did experiments. It was not only on turmeric, but also basil and, uh, and a, few, a few other substances that are widely known to promote health. It almost doesn't matter what your issue is if you take turmeric or, or basil, it should it should improve. And and our hy hypothesis was that what what these substances do um, in the concentrations that you're likely to have in your body is they build easy water. So we tested this on a setup. We we have a certain amount of easy water, and then we put a small amount of whatever substance in in the water. And by golly, easy was increased by um, 20, 30, sometimes even more percent. And so by extrapolating to the body, um, we, we can envision that taking these substances will build easy water. And so if you're deficient in easy water, whether it's your kidney or your liver or your lung or your brain or whatever, it's gonna build easy water. And therefore, whatever pathology you have, which might be caused by a dehydration, that is a deficiency in easy water, Will be restored, and I think this is a very simple, very simple paradigm or a, a mechanism by by which to gain health. And as you say, it's five, six thousand years old. Well, we we're big believers and use turmeric and, and holy basil all the time. Did you understand? Get a sense of what the mechanism was for that? How it actually created the easy water? No, uh, I wish we did, but but we don't know. Um, you know, it was, it's not just those substances. We studied a whole bunch. We just published a paper. It was just last month that it, it came out. Also, coconut oil, coconut water, um, and, and also, um, um, well, we studied various fats. Ghee, for example. Um, yeah, we, sell, we have a lot of ghee. Yeah, and this, this was actually prompted by, um, I don't know if you know Dave Asprey, who is... Sure, uh, yeah. of course. Yeah, Dave was chatting with us about it, and um, um, he actually gave us a, a gift to prompt us to move in that direction, and we did. We haven't published the paper yet, but the results are clear. So we could take some ghee, and we, we have a way of uh, of, of um, actually solidifying it, and and uh, and the ghee, it is I'm basically solidified. What I mean, solidified into uh, into the shape of a of a rod. Uh, and we put this rod into water and microspheres, 
and we can see next to this rod of ghee, the microspheres are moving away, leaving a gap, an exclusion zone, EZ, that is as large as we've ever seen. So it means that it means that ghee um, seems to be really powerful in creating easy water, um, uh, and and therefore we understand why why ghee is considered again five thousand years, six thousand years. Oh, I don't. Yeah. Yeah, Amazing. Uh, yeah, good for health. It makes total sense. And the mechanism seems to be in the buildup of easy water. Um, you know, and since easy water is throughout your body, <laughs> necessary, um, it, it means that, that ghee should be good pretty much for whatever ails you. <laughs> Wow, that's just that's just amazing. You know, I, I'm always so fascinated, which is why I write about ancient wisdom and modern science. How did they know thousands of years ago to take milk and boil off all the milk cells until you ended up with just the oil of ghee, which happens to have like the highest concentration of butyric acid, which we have microbes in our gut, Clostridium butyricum, that literally makes butyric acid to heal your intestinal skin. Yeah. Yet they knew, and now we're finding out that ghee actually supports the the hydration of the cell. Um, did you happen to measure other oils like olive oil or other oils as well, or processed oils and see the difference? No, uh, we haven't done that, but I, um, um, that, that's kind of on, on the agenda. See, in order to do it, the proper study, we need something that's solid. And, and so uh -huh. some of these oils are, are not, and, uh, and it makes the study more, more challenging. But, 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 but you it, did do coconut oil. You said you did coconut oil, and that worked. Yeah, coconut oil, but it tends to be uh, uh, solidified. And coconut water we did also, and that that dissolves in 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 the water. And we again we found that it increases the uh, e easy size. So um, yeah, I mean you've you you've now turned me on to um, w which ones would you suggest we look at. In terms of what, well, I think there's a big debate about, you know, when you take, you know, polyunsaturated fatty acids have been bleached and boiled and deodorized in a significant fashion. You've taken all the nutrients out of that and it's just as pure oil, which the body, that's why they put in a loaf of bread and the loaf of bread will stay on the shelf and stay squishy for a month because the bugs won't eat it. You put yeah. it inside of your body, the bugs won't eat it, suggesting that if they won't eat it, where does all that oil go? Directly to the garbage can, which is your lymph or your liver, and that congests your liver, causes bile issues, and we have a whole bunch of gallbladder surgeries every day. And so that would be like a bad taste of oil. But there's a lot of people saying that all oils are bad. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm like, yeah, maybe, but ghee and coconut oil and olive oil, you know, that's sort of my question is, you know, it's not really that natural to just press an olive and make oil out of it. Ancient humans probably didn't do that. And when you start doing that stuff, are we actually creating a problem? Or like in the ghee, it looks like we're creating a solution. And what's the problem? Where's the solution is sort of that question. What oils are good? What oils are bad? It's very interesting because, you know, we, in the 1950s, when they took cholesterol out of our diet, they replaced it with polyunsaturated fatty acids. And heart disease went up. And a lot oh. of problems went up. So it didn't solve the problem because those oils were so processed that we our bugs would need it and ended up congesting our livers, creating a lot of liver problems. So that's sort of where we ended up. So I'm, I'm so fascinated to hear that the coconut oil and the coconut did support that. Obviously, people lived on that for thousands of years. And, uh, and the fact that ghee was so supportive, I think that's fascinating. I'm sure Dave Asprey asked you to do coffee too, right? So what did coffee come out with? 
Well, we 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 haven't studied the coffee part uh, yet, but um, but yeah, I know. In the case of Dave Asprey, the bulletproof coffee is uh, is touted uh, as as health promoting, and you know perhaps it is. Maybe we do need to study coffee as well. <laughs> coffee and the, and the ghee together. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so there's <coughs> just just one one more that I. I um, way of building easy water that I want to mention before um, I, I know we're reaching the end. But, um, but that is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I don't know if you're familiar. Now, so this is not something used by the ancients. And so maybe we should not discuss it, but. No, good, uh, go for it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So, you know, this is a, just a, a great big chamber into which you immerse your body and it's sealed and you get high oxygen under high pressure. And at first it was used for wound healing um, for the military, people who had gaping wounds that wouldn't heal, but you put them in this chamber and they healed. And so one of my, uh, one of my former students, or actually was a postdoc with me in my lab, after he finished, he went to work for a company that not only produced these machines, but was doing research. And we had lunch together after a few months and he came back and he says, you know, Jerry, it's funny, uh, this this device was invented for wound healing, but by now there are, looks like there are some 30 different syndromes uh, that benefit from hyperbaric oxygen therapy, HBOT. Um, and I said, well, tell me. And so he went down this long list and he said, well, it's difficult to get FDA approval for, for these, but the research has shown that it works. So we scratch our heads together. If it works for so many different syndromes, Either it's got to have 30 different mechanisms uh, or it's got one mechanism that operates in 30 different places. And, you know, by Occam's razor, it seemed natural. The simpler explanation was that it's one mechanism. And so thinking of one mechanism, you know, what is, what is it what, what, uh, that's all over the place? And that's water. So we came up with a hypothesis to start with that what hyperbaric oxygen therapy does is increases the amount of easy water. A student of mine, a very talented undergraduate, took up the project. He looked at easy under the presence of high oxygen, uh, as in HBOT. Sure enough, it built easy water. And then high pressure, sure enough, it built easy water. So when you put the two together, high pressure, high oxygen, you should get a super buildup of, uh, of easy water. And, um, and we, we, we published that study. I can't say that it's drawn a lot of attention, but I think it's possible that um, that hyperbaric oxygen therapy, uh, the reason it's as effective as it is, is because it builds easy water throughout your body everywhere. And my wife is on it right now. Unfortunately, she's suffering with stage four ovarian cancer. And, oh, and one of the that. therapies you know, that is highly recommended by um, the integrative um, um, uh, practitioners is indeed hyperbaric oxygen therapy and every time she goes in she comes out she feels better so um, we're, we're hopeful but that is yet another way um, according to our experiments to build easy water uh, would, uh, would ozone or o3 have any positive or negative effect you know I don't know we haven't tried it can't say sorry yeah. Well, this has been nothing short of fascinating. And I know, I know that we have just touched the surface on what you know about the fourth phase of water and this easy exclusion zone water and how important it is for our health and for the cells and to hydrate your cells. Um, I really encourage everybody to read 
Dr. Pollock's book, uh, The Fourth Phase of Water. Um, he goes into such great detail about every way that this water seems to apply itself to our health and to like ankle swelling and all these amazing things. It's just a, an amazing journey. I, I just loved reading your book and I, I don't think we touched the surface on what you know about this and you know we didn't and I apologize for, for interrupting you and, and asking you a lot of questions but I know my readers want to know how do I get this water in my body right away and I want to go buy the, buy the water and is there, is there a product out there, an easy water product that, that you would recommend or, or not at this uh, point? Well, I, I tend to avoid recommending anything because um, I, yeah. I, I need to remain independent uh, of any particular product. And, and we, we also don't test uh, products for that reason, because yeah. if the test is pretty good, there's an implicit message that I'm standing behind that. And I, 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 I prefer to remain independent of any commercial product. And so, uh, yeah. but there are products out there that claim to have fourth phase or easy water. In, in general, would high alkaline water be more more beneficial? No, I think so. Um, yeah, because uh, high alkaline water has a lot of negative charge. We we think of it as having high pH. Our measurements show that yes, high pH, but also high negative charge. They actually that water is actually charged with uh, with net negativity, um, and. I, we tried some experiments a few years ago with alkaline water to see if indeed, if indeed they contain easy. And for some reason, we didn't find it. However, uh, someone in my lab just last week said they tested uh, uh, another batch of it, and absolutely, it does contain. So I think it should. Uh, I'm not sure. We have to study some more, but I, I, I suspect it's probably rich and easy water. Once, once again, the more we know, the less we know, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of information coming out in science, but uh, that doesn't always lead to more understanding. Well, anyway, Dr. Pollock, I want to thank you again. I want to encourage everybody to get his book, The Fourth Phase of Water. Check you get more information about the work he's doing at Pollock, P-O-L-L-A-C-K, lab.org. You can check him out there. And you can also uh, watch the LifeSpot podcast every month for free on your uh, on, you, on iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using. Check us out, LifeSpot, Ancient Wisdom Meets Modern Science. Thanks all for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, John. Appreciated your great questions. Okay, take care. <laughs> Very welcome.